Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. Nathan Collier here with the introduction for today's episode. Today, we're bringing you one of my favorite episodes from the archive, an interview between Jim and Cynthia Loren, our Director of Community Development here at Pursuit. Cynthia is, she's an amazing interviewer. Uh, She's frequently sitting in the host chair here on the podcast. And I know it was a change of pace for her to be the one answering the questions rather than asking them. In this episode, you'll hear Cynthia's background, growing up in the UK as the daughter of Nigerian parents, uh, how that impacted her life and her career choices, and how those experiences really have shaped her as a person. Cynthia also takes us through her experiences working at large law firms, how she came to join us here, Pursuit, and a little bit about some of the work she still does today with the African legal communities. Cynthia is my friend and colleague. I am thrilled to bring you her story here on the podcast. So as Jim always says, sit back, chillax, and enjoy the episode. Cynthia Lorraine, great (laughs) to see you again. But this time the shoe is on the other foot. This time I'm interviewing you. Yeah, this isn't so comfortable, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Funny about that. (laughs) Let's jump right right in. You're currently the Director of Community Development of Pursuit, but you weren't always in that position. I want you to take us right back. Take us right back to the early days, as, as early as you'd like, your childhood, um, where you were born, raised. Tell us about that, um, and then we can start the journey from there. Okay, great. So I I was actually born in Manchester, uh, which is in the northern part of uh, the UK. I've always lived in England, British in that sense, but I come from a Nigerian family. So my parents are from Nigeria, and we were raised in a very traditional Nigerian way. What does a traditional being raised in a traditional Nigerian way mean? It means that we sort of were raised with Nigerian values. So we were constantly reminded that although we are, you know, living in Britain and have yeah. British passports, yeah. we do things the Nigerian way. So we greet in the Nigerian way. Yeah. Um, we respect our parents. We, you know, everybody has to get a university education. The unwritten rule in in traditional Nigerian homes is that if you want to make your parents proud, you have to do something really respectable. So you have to either be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. There's not much room for negotiation. Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) Something like that. Um, I mean, and it's a, you know, it's a pretty serious deal. I think, you know, part of why I ended up being a lawyer was because, you know, I was squeamish, so and not very good at science. So doctor, medicine, that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Had no interest in engineering, but I knew if I if I could become a lawyer, then I'd I'd give my Nigerian parents gloating rights. Yes. You know, they could go to events and proudly have themselves referred to as Mama Lawyer and Papa Lawyer. You know, that's that's, oh. that's how it works. <laughs> and and it's a it's a common story, isn't it? Parents migrate to a new country. Indian parents, Nigerian parents, Greek parents, and want their children to grow up and be doctor, lawyer, engineer. It clearly moulds you, drives you, uh, and gives you a very clear direction. 
on where you're headed. You've decided you're squeamish, so you're not gonna you're not gonna take the doctor path. Um, yeah, take us through that early you know, law school and, and, and your early part of your career in law. Well, let me actually take you back a little bit because oh, I think yeah. some of the stuff, some of the stuff that happened in school was actually quite relevant to me then, you know, ending up in law school, becoming oh, a lawyer, et cetera. So yep. I went to an uh, all-girls school in Kent and I was the only black boarder. So I was the only black girl that lived in the boarding house. Wow. And I experienced a lot of racism from very young. I always say to my kids, I didn't have, I didn't actually realise that I was black. I didn't know what that meant until I went to school. Yeah. And you know, there was a lot of taunting being asked questions about, you know, do you live in a hut? Do you eat bananas? All of that wow. stuff that you hear. So it, it was it was really a tough time. But I think what it created in me was a sense of wanting to stand up for what was right, wanting to fight for justice, um, even as a sort of young nine, 10 year old. So a couple of years into it, we had some other black boarders join two girls from Nigeria, a girl, another girl from South Africa, and they were quite vocal and a lot more confident wow. than I was. Yep. But yep. what it did was it, it kind of, it, first of all, it made me feel better represented um, because I was no longer the anomaly in that group. But it also, it also showed me the power of advocacy because then I had people to stand up for me and with me. And I think that really did something in me. I think the other thing about being in school was that, you know, I was, I went to a great school and um, you know, we talk, used to talk a lot about future careers, you know, what do you want to be wh when you grow up? You were encouraged to actively think about that, even from a really young age, because obviously you're in an exclusive fee-paying school. Um, the expectation is you'll go on and do great things. And I remember once sharing uh, with the class that I wanted to be a lawyer. And the teacher's response was a bit strange. I can't remember exactly what she said, but something about her response gave me the impression that she thought I'd be better off doing something else. And it wasn't about my academic ability because I was a top student. You know, I was, I think because of everything that I was dealing with, I, I was in my books. So I, you know, my, my way of survival was I'm just going to be the best. I'm going to get be the A grade. So it wasn't, it wasn't about that, but there was something that sort of made her response indicate to me that she didn't think it was something I could do. And honestly, Jim, her reaction was like waving a flag to a bull. For me, it sort of, it strengthened my resolve that I was going to absolutely prove her wrong. And, you know, I think ultimately that was a, a big catalyst for me, just, you know, and I think I've always been driven with what my mum calls a pioneer spirit, that desire to go do stuff that hasn't been done before or people think can't be done. Um, so, yeah, that that's kind of a bit about why I ended up um pursuing the law but I mean it, I then you know I, I finished school um went to Warwick for my degree had an amazing time um got into law school and landed a, a, a training contract fairly early so again you know I'd heard stories of how hard it is to get a training contract and so my plan was before I leave university I'm going to have this lined up um and it was tough it was really really tough but I managed I managed to I was one of the few um, that managed to get a training contract. So that on coming out of university and law school, I was straight into a firm. Okay, so before we do a deep dive into the firm, um, just reflecting back on what drove you and the teacher's uh, question mark about whether or not you should be doing it. It's amazing, isn't it, as children, as yet, as teenagers, what 
what triggers a drive in us. Um, mm. It doesn't have to be something that's even said. It's an impression that we get. Or, uh, But how many times have we heard it too when it's the teacher that didn't believe... It's funny, the teacher that didn't believe that drives us or the teacher that believed that also yeah. drives us. It is incredible. And yeah. I think it's just, it's so important for us as adults to, to remember and to understand how moments like that and moments that we can influence, how powerful they can be. Yeah. Um, and, um, and hopefully moments that we're, um, uh, we're empowering in the right way and inadvertently sometimes in the wrong way where we're just actually not thinking about it. It's something I just think about a lot, how, yeah. um, how those moments that as an adult, sometimes you don't give in a second thought to, um, but when you're young, you're impressionable, you're, you're a teenager, it can be formative in, in the career you choose, the way you're driven, it's always just fascinated me and it just makes me super conscious now mm. that, you know, when, when you're in a position recognising how important your words, your actions, your looks can be yeah. to, to those who are, you know, as I said, whether it's young adults, whether it's children, whether it's teenagers. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, there's that adage about, you know, people don't always remember what you said, but they definitely remember yeah. how you made them feel. All right. Early career in a law firm. Tell us about yeah. that. And what impression did that leave you? What did that tell you about yourself and what you wanted to do? Initially, it was amazing. I mean, you can imagine, you know, yeah. my family had and I had this huge sense of achievement, excitement, yeah. you know, mom. Mum got gloating right. She's going yeah. to all the parties. I'm not just mama lawyer. I am mama city lawyer. And, you know, that it was a really big deal because actually a lot of people that I had grown up with who had similar ambitions didn't didn't have those opportunities. I mean, start, I still have friends who sort of say, you know, how did you do it? You, you, you know, you're really lucky. For me, it validated the hard work. It validated the struggles. You know, getting a training contract was not easy by any means. I had some very interesting conversations with partners at firms that will be that will uh, remain nameless but you know being asked you know are you actually British and you know back then things were very different Jim. Let, let's double click on that a little bit because and I'll share a little story too um, but so, so you actually were asked questions like that are you actually? Oh British? I had I had in, I had one interview in particular where I was asked to show my British passport at the interview. I mean, ordinarily, when you get the offer and HR are doing their checks, yes. you, you know, you, that, that's fine. But in the interview, I was asked whether I could sh show my British part. And I just, you know, it was, it, yeah, some really odd, um, really odd conversations. And for me, you know, I've always been, I'm British and I'm Nigerian. There's no yeah, yeah. complexity in, in any of that. I, I am both things and I am all of those things. But yeah, the whole, you know, where, where are you really from? <laughs> it's funny I do remember I don't remember too many of my interviews in um for summer clerkships and uh, and article clerks but the one that stands out and I remember it vividly uh, it's when I was asked so what do your parents do Jim when I responded well my parents uh, they're both janitors at my local high school um I, I'll never forget the look I got. Um, well, and that question followed what school did I go to, actually? 
Um, and when I mentioned it was a local high school, there was, there was a bit of a scrambling. And then, okay, so what do your parents do? And I'll just never forget. And there wasn't any work. There was no response to it, but as the look that I had that my parents were janitors at the local high school that made me feel, by God, I will show you. Okay, so back to, back to learning. So, you know, you, you, you start off on a high. Mama City Lawyer. So. <laughs> yeah, Mama City Lawyer. And I'm, you know, I'm suited and booted every day. I'm walking into beautiful offices and central London and you know for the most part I actually enjoyed the work I know you have work as a trainee that isn't always great but you know I was inspired by the brilliant minds I got to interact with um and I I genuinely enjoyed the cerebral challenge of being a lawyer you know just having to grasp really complex concepts I know that sounds super geeky but it just it, it spoke to me on so many levels so initially great um but there was very quickly just sort of this revealing of it, the the darker side of being in that environment particularly post qualification yeah so i think i mean there was a couple of things as a trainee dealing with you know some eccentric partners having to kind of handle people screaming at you i mean it sounds shocking now when i think back at it but you know partners not being very happy and then screaming at you or calling you stupid and you know because of the pressure if you accepted people are under pressure and so they behave in really odd ways but there was also just that whole I think particularly once I qualified um there then the pressure of achieving billable targets became really real to me so I think I sensed it as a trainee but as a trainee you're almost insulated yeah. from it you're aware it's there yep. um but it's you know when you're on qualification this is this is now reality right so I felt that weight that pressure of I'm now qualified. I've got, I've got to come with the goods. I can't have done all this and, you know, um, mess it up. So I, I, as junior associates, we'd kind of, we'd joke about things like not taking too long in the ladies or not taking too long a lunch because you didn't want to eat into the working day. You know, I remember it, you know, if you pulled a couple of all nighters, that was a badge of honor. You know, it was frowned upon if you got up and left your desk early and by early, I mean seven. Yep. Um, you'd hear things in the corridor, you know, people saying, oh, he'll never make partner because he lives, he, he leaves his desk at 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. It's just that that began to grate on me. And, it, you know, it began to have an effect where although I love the work, I realized that there was something odd about the environment that I was in. And it wasn't just about, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, the billable hour and acquiring tons of time and just doing whatever work you can to you know, get make up the, the hours on a matter. But actually, you know, what I experienced was that you had to be really efficient with your time. And you had to show that you you could take on this massive superhuman workload um, and you could always do more. So you'd have multiple partners throwing, you know, multiple matters at you and you had to be able to say, yes, you were always on. You couldn't, you know, you, you couldn't ever say I'm tired or it's too much. That just was... It, a real sign of of, of yep. weakness, and I think the other the other dark side for me. So I think everybody experiences that in a in you know yep. a, a large law firm, whoever you are. But then you know, as a person of color, I think the other side of it was that sense of just being different. So I had those feelings again of being an anomaly, um, you know, of being we'd call it now the diversity hire. Back then, it was referred to as positive discrimination, and it's interesting how this is all 
sort of, you know, transformed, just transformed over time. But, you know, endless incidents of walking into a meeting and you're assumed to be the PA, never the associate or the trainee on the file. You know, countless occasions of a well-meaning partner from the other side saying, oh, you must have done really well to get a training contract or a job at a firm like this. You know, all normal stuff. You know, this is not me making stuff up. I had to really sit down and kind of, you know, gather my thoughts about some of the stuff that I'd actually blocked out because it was a really, it was a really tough time. And I think also just my social and cultural references didn't fit in the environment. So, you know, you're attending networking events and you suddenly realize that your lack of knowledge of good wine, your lack of experience of a skiing adventure means you're just not going to have very much to say. I've been in those places. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, mean, I got great at faking it, Jim. Yeah. You know, I'm yep. a learner. So yep. I, I got great at putting on my mask, having my stories. But I really felt it got to a point where I felt that the real authentic me wasn't welcome. Yep. And that for me that was that was a turning point um and it, you know sort of led to to other decisions but i think it, it's why i'm th- excited about the work that i do now because actually i mean above anything else i get to be myself when i come to work every day yeah um but being in a, in an organization where we're trying to bring about change so that that can be other people's reality is 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 really thrilling to me but if nothing else it was character building so uh it, yeah yeah it- you talk about um, being able, being your authentic self, and sometimes it takes us. Some of us never actually get there, that or certainly never get to an environment, a work or even social, but certainly a work environment where you can be your authentic self. Um, mm-hmm. And that is what we should all be striving for, and all be striving for as early as possible. Hopefully, from day one. Um, mm-hmm and not necessarily years or decades to get to your authentic self. So I love the way you put that, Cindy, because that is, it's awful not being there and having to be someone else for such a huge part of your life or something else. Um, So, and that's something when I think about, um, you know, kind of giving guidance to anyone um, about, the, their careers, their jobs they're thinking about. If you can't actually lean into yourself, your mm. authentic self, it it's just it's hard work. It's not very mm. satisfying. Um, it's the polar extreme. It's the polar opposite of what we should all be striving for. Tell us then a little bit about why you're excited today. You certainly before before you joined Pursuit, you're obviously, you're very um, active and you continue to be active in the African legal community. Tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll and then we'll dovetail into Pursuit. Yeah, sure. So I um I left uh, Big Law 2017. I kind of you know for all the reasons I've explained, I got tired of doing what I was doing. I wasn't a fee earner throughout. So I started life as a as a, an associate and then moved into legal services, business development, yep. um, which I, you know, I was, I think I was just better suited at, but actually the environment is still the same. You're still facing yep. the same challenges. So I got to a point where I thought there has to be a different way of, of doing this. I, I saw some exciting trends in Africa. I'm, you know, very focused on what's happening in the continent. And I just... My, I'm all about legacy. Like I really want to be able to do, build something that's going to last forever, give things back 
um, that will outlast me. And so, you know, I, I could see that I was actually getting a number of calls, to be honest, from African law firms who I'd interacted with whilst yeah. working in, in my job saying, you know, can you share knowledge? Can you, can you do some coaching? Can you consult? Um, and so eventually I left um, the firm that I was working at and, and set up a small consulting practice um, and, you know, started working with just some really exciting firms across Africa, particularly in West and East Africa, you know, getting into the weeds of what it is they do, how they can better position themselves in the market. And actually, it's interesting because the, the reason I first came across Pursuit was because I was doing some research for a client. <laughs> um, yep. So I was doing some research for, for um, an African client. We, we were doing some work with Clock at the time. And Clock mentioned that they'd partnered with Pursuit on creating RFP templates. So I visited the website and Honestly, the thought of someone templatizing RFPs just fascinated me. Yeah. I was just, it just thought, who is this? Like, who, who's, who's creating this level of yep. source? Yep. I'm not sure how many um, people listening are getting excited and fist pumping right now, but, <laughs> but at least you were. Yeah. Listen, I can say I'm a bit of a geek, so. Yep. And then, of yes. course, you joined us. Tell us a little bit about that, the why, and tell us what that part of your journey um, has been like. Yeah, sure. So um, I think one of the one of the key things that really appealed to me about Pursuit was when I uh, read the job description, it just stood out that they were looking for really varied experience. We, we you know, I say I say they at the time, but you know, now we. Um, the d- job description I remember was asking for someone who understood lawyers, had knowledge of pricing, had business development expertise, was interested in client relationships, and was entrepreneurial. You know, that's oh. just not a normal job description. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember, Jim, there was one, there was one bit of the description that said, um, this role will play a huge part in modernizing legal relationships. And honestly, it spoke to me. I, I know it sounds very exaggerated, yeah. but that was, I wasn't looking for a job. You know, have to remember, I'm, yeah, remember. you know, I'm now, I'm feeling a lifelong dream of doing my own thing. And, you know, I wasn't looking for a job, but just the description of what was, yeah, what 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 Pursuit wanted and what Pursuit was trying to achieve, it, it just, it thrilled me, honestly. I just thought the opportunity to be involved in something that improves legal relationships in both directions. You know, I've come from a law firm, yep. you know, and I, I have, you know, I'm passionate about legal services. I've worked with in-house counsel. But so the ability to kind of bridge the gap and do something that's revolutionary I just felt like it was a once in a lifetime opportunity. It was just too good to to, to pass up. Oh, Cynthia, it's like uh, music to my ears, of course. <laughs> and, and, and you know, and we all believe it. We all absolutely believe it is yeah. a once in a lifetime. We believe that the, and you know, I know our listeners have heard this before that the incentives are misaligned. That rewarding for number of hours worked and effort um, mm. can't be can't be the right model and you know helping the industry build new muscles around the way they scope work engage law firms ensuring that they're outcome driven rather than input and effort driven it's you know it's a mission which is dear to our hearts it's a mission which is so closely linked to achieving better outcomes on diversity achieving better health outcomes and having an industry that's focused on um, delivering value, 
um, yeah. not, not delivering ours. So who wouldn't be excited, Cynthia? <laughs> and, you know, the, the truth is, having worked at Pursuit for a while, I can hand on heart say that, you know, one of the best things beyond fulfilling the mission, which in itself is an amazing one, is the fact that I feel like we attract people that are a bit contrarian. You know, we, we, we're pulling together a bunch of people who are just, they're excited to drive and achieve change. And they're genuinely wanting to challenge the status quo for all the right reasons. The amount of energy and passion. You know, I sit here in London. Most of the team is in, in New York. But even on Zoom, you can feel the fire, right, in these conversations. And so it's, it's exciting. And in, in one sense, certainly the, the lawyers that we've attracted, we're all kind of misfits. Sorry, misfits yeah. in the traditional, certainly in the traditional yeah. legal environment. That's why we're here. Some of us took a lot longer to work that out <laughs> um, and, and get here. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, I absolutely agree on the energy um, and and just being mission-driven. And it, you know, it goes back to your point, you know, whether it's pursuit or anything else, being able to be your authentic self and be able yeah. to relate to a mission and goals that the organisation you're working for so that every day that when you wake up, what a feeling <laughs> to be able to wake yeah. up and love, you know, as much as you can yeah. love work and what you do, but what you do and the mission that you're driven for. Um, yeah. I, it's, I feel incredibly, and I know you've heard me say this, but I do feel incredibly privileged not only to be in that position, but to create an environment where others can be in that mm. position and, and honestly, yeah. Cynthia, and, and feel the way that you do. Well, it's genuine. The, the, you know, the emotions are, are definitely genuine. What does the future look like? I think there is a desire to have better relationships. Relationships that are, and, and when I say better, um, that's not to say that relationships aren't good now. But I think there is sometimes a disconnect. There is sometimes a misalignment between what a client defines as value, what a law firm defines as value. I feel like tech um, is playing, is going to play and is playing a really big part in, in enabling us um, to bridge the gap. I feel like data, um, you know, this, this, there's so much chatter about making data-driven decisions yeah. Um, yeah. or validating your decisions through data. So for me, this, this is the, the direction of travel. You know, I, I could see one of the reasons I wanted to join Pursuit was that there is just this, there's a growth in the whole legal tech sector. There's so many, um, you know, platforms and opportunities, but using legal tech to enhance relationships, I just think is, is incredibly powerful. So for me, that, that, that's the future. That's the future of the industry. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And um, it's not unique to legal too. Um, using data to improve buyer and seller relationships worldwide, whatever category, whether it's professional services, whether it's whatever the category is, by definition, that's what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. We use data <laughs> to improve our buying decisions, and that means buying decisions happen between a buyer and a seller. It's just that it hasn't happened that all that well in you know complex legal and other yeah. professional services. So... I think we're on the right track. Cynthia, let me wrap up with a couple of questions that you've heard before when I ask my guests the hardest yes. thing that you've ever done 
personal, professional that you're prepared to share with us? The hardest thing I've ever um, done is enduring and surviving the breakdown of a marriage. Yeah. Um, particularly for someone who, like me who loves a plan, yeah. um, getting divorced was not on the plan. I mean, I don't think it's on anybody's plan, no. but it definitely was, you know, um, and it, it affected me just on a number of levels, but I think it's also made me who I am now. So mm. just again, referencing my background, very traditional family, yeah. you know, there was a lot of public humiliation, having to admit that, you know, Cynthia had all, always had it all together, didn't have it all together and yeah. made a bit of a mess. But I think, you know, Ultimately, once I got through the hard bit of that, which took a lot of time and great therapy, it became a springboard for other things because it meant that if I could survive this huge thing, which I'd feared ultimately, um, you know, and that's you know, being a single yeah. woman in my 40s, raising three children on my own, it just it gave me a resolve that if I can survive that, there's nothing I can't do. I can and do so, anything. Yeah. 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 And I think I'd had a bit of that in me anyway, but it definitely, it built me. And so one of the big things that I'd always secretly desired was wanting to be an entrepreneur. And I didn't, I didn't even dare until after I went through a divorce. So I I always joke with my friends that, you know, ex-wives will often sort of focus on a revenge body. I went and focused on some revenge businesses. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I love asking that question because it is from the hardest things we do in our personal professional lives that we get the most often get the most strength from Mm. because it demonstrates to us a strength that we never thought we had we never dreamed we could have and then it builds a a resilience and a courage to say we can do anything i can do anything last question Cynthia, okay. advice, advice that you'd give to your 25-year-old self? Oh, I love this question. Yeah. I love asking it. Love like, asking I, it. I, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let me try and answer this sensibly. So I think there's yeah. there's probably three pieces of, of advice I'll, I'd give 25-year-old yeah. Cynthia. I think the first one, um, and actually it's a rule that I've only learned very recently, but I'd advise... 25 year old Cynthia to master the 85% rule. Yeah. Do you know, have you heard of the 85% yes. rule? I, well, 80%, yeah. 85%. Yep. Yep. Exactly. You know, coaching professional athletes, you say, you know, run at 85%, don't, don't run at 100%. Yep. Um, the younger me was a perfectionist. I always believed everything should be delivered to the gold standard. Yep. You know, it's all or nothing. And honestly, it was just, it's, a, it's an exhausting, it's exhausting. way <laughs> to live. Um, And it's just not the smartest way to to live. So I'd advise myself, just don't expend all your energy always giving 100% to everything. Just perform, you know, be a high performer, but be in flow. Take the pressure off yourself sometimes just to, um, you know, to be yourself. I think the second thing I'd advise is um, have a bit more self-belief. I think I wasted a lot of time and a lot of emotion just second-guessing myself. Yeah. thought um there's something great about getting coming into your 40s and you're like you know what i really yeah don't care (laughs) i'm just gonna do i I don't give a shit what anyone else thinks now (laughs) i don't care what you think i'm gonna do it's funny one one of my favorite sayings now with um actually my children my friends you do you just yeah (laughs) yeah you do you um 
I think the last bit um, of advice I'd give is take every opportunity to travel. I don't live with regret, but I think one of my biggest misses was that I had an opportunity to, during my training contract, do a seat um, in Hong Kong and I turned it down for reasons that don't even make any sense now. And it's still a part of the world I haven't explored. I definitely want to do it. But I've lived in another a number of other places. But for me, travel just has this way of opening up your mind yeah. and making you realize that you just you're a really small cog in a massive wheel. Yeah. Traveling also where you have to put down roots elsewhere. I think yeah. it's one of the best ways to adopt a growth mindset. And so, yeah, I would definitely encourage my younger self to do a lot more of that because it gets a lot harder when you've got three kids. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It's a conversation I had only just a few days ago. With, so it'll be the episode, I think, for this one um, with Lisa Mather, the general counsel at Mars Weekly. We talked exactly about that. We actually talked about travel and moving with young children, which we both experienced, and how empowering it was, not only for us in the family unit, but also for the children too. Um, uh, to see that the world was a much bigger place than where they'd come from. And certainly in the early part of your career, Cynthia, I couldn't agree more. I don't think anyone said, you know what, those early years I spent um, working overseas in different jurisdictions, that that was a bad move. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say those words, but I have on occasion heard the regrets that I could have done that. Yeah. it's usually yeah. the stuff that we don't do that we regret, not the stuff that we do. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Now, now, Cynthia, it's been a, it's always a blast speaking to you. We are incredibly privileged here at Pursuit to have you here as our Director of Community Development and, and has have you as such an integral part um, of the team, so I'm incredibly grateful for that. I'm also grateful that you'll be taking... Um, a higher profile in this podcast and that you'll start running some of your own interviews. So I'm looking yeah. I'm looking forward to that. You're going to be an absolute star in that, Cynthia. Thank and, you. Uh, yep. Uh, are you excited about that? I'm, I'm thrilled. Um, I think, you know, there's, there's actually an African proverb that says, until the lions tell their story, yeah. the tales of the hunt will always glorify the hunter. Um, and so for me, just being a part of the podcast means I get to literally hear people it's tell their story in their own authentic voice. You know, how, how did they become a legal leader? I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. About oh, that. And, and, and that's the bit that I love the most, hearing people's yeah. stories, hearing your stories. You know, that's the stuff that we all, we can all relate to a story. Um, yeah. And, and hearing powerful stories, I think, um, and we each have one. I don't care where we're from, what we've done. We each have a powerful story. And the ability to share it, you know, is incredibly fulfilling. And, you know, certainly from the feedback I've had on the podcast, it resonates with our listeners. They love hearing the stories. So it's a really privileged position uh, to be in. I know you're going to do a super job, an absolute blast speaking to you. Thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to, to hear this episode and to hear your future episodes with our new guests. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.